Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. The world has changed. I want you for just a moment, think about all the ways that the world has changed. I'm 34 years old and the world has changed a lot. I'm just thinking about it. This week, growing up, we had this thing called boredom. Okay, how many of you remember boredom? Okay, kids these days, they have no clue what boredom is. Right, they don't know what it's like on a rainy day driving three hours to your grandma's house with your head against the window listening to talk radio. Like, they have no clue what boredom is. Okay, when I was a kid, we used to have this thing called playing outside. Y'all remember that? Do y'all remember playing outside? Okay, that doesn't exist anymore. We also, we also had this thing, maybe you've heard of them, they're called friends. Okay, have you ever heard of those? Okay, what happened to our friends? Where'd they go? Nobody knows because the world has changed. The world has changed a lot. And I was just thinking about all the ways that things are, are different. How many of you remember Blockbuster? Do you remember like Friday nights, hanging out with your friends, going to Blockbuster, getting in a fight for like two hours, trying to figure out what movie you're going to watch? Well, now you don't even have to get up off your couch to have the fight. You can just watch Netflix. Like that's, that, that's the world has changed. How many of you remember Sony Walkman's? Like Tony Walkman's cassette players, like that was every kid's number one item on their Christmas list. Today, everything's streamed on Spotify. The world has changed. How many of you remember when the Cowboys were good? Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because the world has changed. There's a lot of ways that the world has changed. It really got me thinking this week, what are, what are some of, of the ways and what are some of the ways that businesses or organizations have kind of worked to be able to keep up with the trends and how are they doing when it comes to the change that we're experiencing in the world? And so I went to marketwatch.com. It's a leading um, financial website, a news aggregate, and it had a list of 19 different organizations and companies that are really struggling to keep up with this change. And I thought some of them were very fascinating. The first one was uh, napkins. Okay, it's really hard times for the napkin industry. Right? Whenever surveyed, 86% of American consumers would rather use hand towels over napkins. I thought I was the only one, okay, but apparently, those of you, 86% of people, they don't want to buy napkins anymore. Right? I guess that's just how the world, world's changing. One of them I thought was fascinating was golf. How many of you like playing golf? You enjoy playing golf? Nobody raised their hand because nobody cares about golf anymore. <laughs> in the last 20 years, interest in the game of golf has decreased 75%. Right? Some researchers about the game say that if the trend continues by the year 2056, the game of golf might not exist in America anymore. So if you play golf, go ahead, renew your membership, work on your swing, wear your funny socks because you don't got long because golf is going the way of the dinosaur. Nobody really cares about, about golf. Okay, wh what about this one? Soap. Okay, if that's you, go ahead. No, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because your neighbor probably already knows, right? If soap, <laughs> soap, it's not just soap, it's actually bar soap. Like bar soap cells have tanked. 
Okay, instead, people use liquid soap. So you're really frilly, frou-frou, loofah, body wash, essential oil, soap. Like that's, that's what people use. 60% um, of people said that they actually prefer organic or liquid soap over just using bar soap. People don't use bar soap anymore, but thank you for actually using real soap. Okay, thank you, we appreciate that. Um, one of those was the 40-hour work week. Okay, 20 years ago, you went to work, you clocked in, you did your job, clocked out, came home, kissed your wife, put your feet up, and enjoyed the weekend. Okay, not anymore. The 40-hour work week is actually a thing of the past. On average, Americans work about 50 hours a week. Okay, putting in overtime with no additional pay, not taking vacations, working nights and weekends, tired, exhausted, underpaid, and overworked. The 40-hour work week is a thing of the past. How many of you, you, you work more than 40 hours during the week, right? Okay, there's coffee in the lobby and we're gonna pray for you. Okay, the 40-hour work week is, is a thing of the past. Okay, there's a lot of ways in which the world has changed, but there was one thing that was very interesting to me and, and here's what it is. Over the last 20 years, church attendance, church attendance has actually decreased 20% over the last 20 years. Okay, now for me growing up, like church attendance, that was just a thing. Like you didn't have an option, it was non-negotiable. If the doors were open, you were at church. Okay, and that's just the way that it was. And so you went to church on Sunday mornings. Then you went and heard the associate pastor preach through Leviticus on Sunday nights. You had, you know, youth ministry on Wednesdays, fellowship mill. You had care group. You had prayer meetings. And then Lord help us if revival broke out because then you'd be at church all week long. I mean, like church attendance, that was a priority. That was a necessity. It was a non-negotiable. You went to church. Today, not so much. Church attendance has decreased 20%. Okay, the average American, evangelical, Christian, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christian attends church 1.5 times a month, right? That's the new average. That means people will come to redemption, they say, oh, I love my church, could only come maybe 12 times a year, right? That's the new normal, okay? But that's not what's shocking to me, because I've read the books, I've read the blogs, I've looked at our numbers, I know the trends and stuff, and even inside of our own church, but that's not what's shocking to me. I've come to expect that in ministry in the 21st century. Here's what I found that was shocking. In 1999, there was a man named George Barna, and he's the leading researcher for church trends, statistics, and religion in America. And in 1999, he did a survey of churches, and he discovered that 4% of members of a local church were unaware of their spiritual gift. Only 4% we're unaware of their gift. That's what this sermon series is all about, spiritual gifts, helping you discover your gifts so that way you can make a difference. 4% were unaware of their gift. That's why he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one, he says, dear brothers, I'm writing to you concerning the spiritual gifts because I do not want you to be what? Uninformed. Okay, 20 years ago, this sermon series, I wouldn't even need to teach it. Everybody's like, spiritual gifts? Yeah, I know what my gift is. Okay, I have this gift, I have that gift, you have that gift, we all work together, it's great, it's amazing, I know what my, my gifts are. Okay, 20 years ago, subjects like these were normal. But then, 20 years later, he goes and he does the same survey, and here's what he discovered. 26% today, 26% of Christians are unaware of their spiritual gifts. They don't know. They don't have a clue, 
They don't know that they're important, called by God, nor gifted. Okay, and here's why I thought this is so fascinating. Did you notice the correlation between the two? Church attendance decreases 20%. Awareness of spiritual gifts decreases 20%, or rather increases 20%. Do you see that? That as attendance decreases, awareness of spiritual gifts decrease. That when church is no longer a priority, discovering gifts begins to move into obscurity. That as church is no longer important, the gifts stop being important. As church attendance declines, the gifts decline because they're connected together. Because spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts. That's the reason why. Spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts also lead to spiritual growth. They are connected. That if you want to discover your gift, it comes from within the growth of the church. That if you want to discover how you grow in your faith, it comes from discovering the spiritual gifts. That spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts, and then spiritual gifts in return leads to spiritual growth. The two are connected. And that's exactly why we said that last week, whenever we were opening the introduction of the series, we said that you would earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Because when we desire the gifts, then we experience God's growth. And as we experience God's growth, then we will experience the spiritual gifts. I told you last week in the introduction that the the definition for spiritual gifts is the spirit of God being revealed through the people of God. And when the people of God don't show up, guess what happens? The spirit of God can't show off. If you want to discover your gift, it comes from growing in your faith. And when you grow in your faith, oh, then you're going to discover the gifts. How many of you, you want to grow? How many of you, you want to grow in your faith? You want to know who God is. You want to see him move in your life. You want to have confidence. You want to have assurance. You want to be fired up, filled with passion about God. How many of you want to grow in your faith? Then you need to discover your gifts. How many of you want to see the church grow? How many of you have someone that you know and love that does not yet know and love Jesus, and you want to see them come and be baptized? How many of you want to see the church grow? The seat next to you be filled with someone that you know their first name. How many of you want to see us by First Baptist and see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus? How many of you want to see the church grow? then you got to discover your spiritual gifts because spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts lead to what? Spiritual growth. And I'm going to show you how this all works. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. The sermon title today is this. Why does God give the spiritual gifts? Great question. Glad you asked. Why does God give the spiritual gifts? The answer is because he wants to see his church grow. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it all up front. Okay, we're going to read it, 16 verses. I got three questions that I'm going to ask you. We're going to unwrap 12 spiritual gifts, and I only have 33 minutes left to do it. So y'all can pray for me. Here we go. I'm going to read it all up front. Y'all ready? Ready? 
Oh, guys, I'm going to do it anyway. So (laughs) here's what he says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Last week, we baptized 15 new brothers and sisters in the faith. 15 people went public with life change through Jesus. That brings us together this year alone as a church, 85 people in our church who have received Christ and be baptized. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is in all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, when it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also so descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he gave, here's the gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body. Very important, circle it, highlight it, underline it, we're coming back to it. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is in the head, into Christ Jesus, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint when it is equipped, when each part is working together properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. First question is this, why does God give spiritual gifts? Okay, how many of you love giving gifts? Okay, it's Christmas time, and so you're getting ready, anticipating, buying gifts for someone that you love. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your pastor, But you're looking to get gifts for somebody that you love because you love them. And what's the best part about giving a gift? It's watching their face when they open it, right? Just looking at the smile, seeing the joy. This Christmas, we're going to buy Esther a dollhouse, and we have it all picked out, and it's getting shipped in today, and we're going to wrap it up. And on Christmas, she's going to open her dollhouse, and I can't wait to see the look on her face because as a father, I love to give gifts to my girls, Okay. Christmas time is a time we remember that. And here's what we need to know, is that our Father in heaven is a giver, that God is a giver, that God is the most kind, the most good, the most gracious. He is the most generous, and God, he loves to give. And I think this is one of the reasons that when you read the Bible, God's so joyful, because he's a giver. God loves to give. And here's the important thing you need to know, that generosity reflects the heart of the Father, that generosity reflects the heart of God. If you want to be like God, be a giver. Because when you give, that's when you most reflect the heart of God. I think the longer I'm a pastor and the longer that I am a Christian, I think the true test for Christian maturity is whether or not a person is a giver or a taker. Whether a person is generous, because when you, when you know everything comes from God and ultimately everything belongs to God, then you love to give because generosity reflects the heart of God. 
whether you're a giver or a taker, whether you're a consumer or a contributor, whether you bless others or whether you hold back and you hinder and you prevent others from experiencing the heart of God himself. I think that's one of the best tests of Christian maturity because generosity reflects the heart of God because our God, he is a giver. And I want you to just look at the language that Paul uses here. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's so important, and it's very generous. Here's what he says. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So what he's talking about here is the gospel message. He uses these language of ascending and descending and ascending back into heaven. Right, this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity, that he existed in eternity past, perfectly God in union and harmony and love with the Trinity. And then Jesus Christ, he steps down from heaven and he enters into this world, that he descends from heaven to earth. Jesus comes on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, to give his life for those who are hurting and broken and in bondage. He descends sins and he lives the life that we never could live. He dies the painful death, the death in your place for your sins. He hangs on the cross after being denied and crucified. They take his body. They descend it even lower down into the grave. And through his death, he, he gives to you grace and hope and mercy and salvation. Through his death, he gives you redemption. Through his shed blood, he atones for all of your sins. And then through the resurrection of Jesus, as he ascends from the descent to the grave, he conquers Satan, sin, hell, and the grave. And then he takes your sin upon himself. He removes your shame. He removes your guilt. Your past is erased. You have been set free. You have been delivered. He comes and he sets the captives free, that he descends from heaven, he accomplishes the mission of God, and then he ascends back up to heaven where he is led by a host of captives. That's you and me. That's all of us who have placed our hope and trust and faith in Jesus. He prepares a place for us. He has forgiven us. We have been delivered, healed, and we have been set free because of Jesus. Now, where is Jesus at today? What is Jesus doing today? It says that he has ascended on high. So Jesus is in heaven. And what is Jesus doing in heaven? Ephesians 4, 8 tells us this. He is giving gifts to men. You need to understand something, that Jesus not only saves you, but he gifts you. That he has a gift for you. He is giving gifts to men, to women. He is giving gifts to his children. See, a lot of Christians stop at saved. And they don't realize that they've been gifted. See, a lot of Christians, they're okay with being saved. I prayed my prayer, I walked the aisle, I raised my hand, I checked, follow Jesus on the connect card, I'm saved, and then they stop. And they don't realize that they're actually gifted. They're like, no, no, I'm going to heaven when I die. Oh yeah, but he's giving gifts for you now until you get there. Right? He's giving gifts to men. See, God has a goal for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a reason. He doesn't just save you and leave you. He saves you and gifts you. Not only are you saved, but you are also gifted. He has something that he wants you to do. That there's work to be done in the meantime. Yeah, we're going to go get to heaven one day, eventually, but there's still some work for us to do in the meantime. So why does he give us these gifts? Well, Ephesians 4 actually tells us. Here's what he says. And he gave, that's giving language, 
the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherds, and the teachers. Those are spiritual gifts. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and for the building up of the, what's the word? Body of Christ. Why does he give the spiritual gifts? He says two things. He says, to equip the saints, that's you, that's me, for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body. The big idea that Paul's trying to communicate to us is that the reason that God gives the gifts is because that is God's way to grow the church. The gifts are God's way to grow the church. Did you know that you are important? Some people didn't know that. Did you know that you are special? Some people don't know that. Do you know that God loves you so much that he has a plan, a purpose, and a gift for you, and there is a reason that you are here in this room right now, a part of Redemption Church. God has a purpose for you. Some people, they don't know that. They come to church and they feel invisible. They come to church and they feel unworthy. They come to church and you don't feel like you have anything important to offer to this church. Okay, I want you to know that that's not true. And then some people, they come into church and they think it's everybody else's job to do the work for them. Okay, again, that's not true. He says that to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Hey, if you're a Christian, go ahead, raise your hand if you're a Christian. Okay, let me see all my brothers and sisters, Christians, raise your hand. Okay, guess what? You're in ministry. Welcome to ministry. Grab a helmet okay, and get to work. Glad to have you on our team, right? Because every Christian is in ministry. See, some people think that only pastors are in ministry. That's not true. Some people think only paid vocational ministers are those who are in ministry. Again, that's not true. And some people think that, oh, ministry is only for those old white guys in suits or went to college and can say big, fancy college words and tuck their shirts in. That's ministry. Okay, again, that's not true. And I don't tuck my shirt in, but that's not true. Okay, ministry isn't only for those who are super duper holy, went to college, you can string together enough words to keep your attention for 50 minutes. That's not what ministry is. Okay, ministry is basically just, just going to work with God. That's all ministry is. And so you're in ministry, and you're in ministry, and you're in ministry, and if you're a Christian, raise your hand, guess what? You are in ministry. And the goal of the gifts is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So if you're a Christian, welcome to ministry, and you have a gift. And then the second thing he says is this. He says it's for the building up of the body. Paul's favorite metaphor for the local church is that of a body. Okay, sometimes he refers to us as a family, a military unit, the bride of Christ, but he loves to refer to us as a, as a body because when you and you and you are all using your gifts, the body, it begins to grow. The body becomes healthy. The body becomes thriving. It becomes flourishing that every member of the body is working together, accomplishing its goal, and then the church begins to grow because the gifts are God's way to grow the church. But just because something grows doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. There's a saying that says, oh, you know, healthy things grow. That's true. But unhealthy things grow as well. Right? Cancer grows. Doesn't, that's not healthy. Right? Bitterness grows. Yeah, that's not healthy. Unforgiveness grows. That's not healthy. Okay, unhealthy things, they also grow as well. We don't want the body to grow unhealthily. We want it to grow and become healthy. And so just picking up on this metaphor of the body, that you and me, we're the church, we're the body, God wants us to grow in ways that are healthy, not just numerically, which we pray and we believe God that we're going to grow in numerical growth, 
but also spiritually, interpersonally, and biblically. We want to have a biblical growth, a spiritual growth. We want to have a personal growth because spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts leads to spiritual growth, and the gifts are God's way to grow the church. So just think about it like a body. Okay, how do bodies grow in unhealthy ways? Okay, basically, if you don't do anything, then your body's going to grow in very unhealthy ways. Like you can sit on the couch all day. You can eat ho-hos and ding-dongs and Twinkies. And you can stay up all night playing video games and drinking Red Bull. And guess what's going to happen? Your body's going to grow, right? Your body is going to grow, amen? Like your body is going to grow. It's just not going to grow in the direction you want. Okay, that's an unhealthy growth, right? And what happens when you grow in an unhealthy way? You become lethargic. You become apathetic, your muscles begin to atrophy, you become lazy and sluggish, well, you're not very healthy. And that's the same way that happens in the church when people don't use their gifts. Now, the church can grow, but it's not in a healthy way. Having people come, sit down every week, drink the coffee, raise their hand, take communion, and leave, and not serve, love, give, or pray for their church, we can look in at the numbers and say, oh, our church is growing, but that's not a healthy growth. That's not the growth that God intends. That's not the growth that God desires because people are not using their gifts. When you just come to church and you don't serve, can I just tell you, you're not using your gifts. I love you. I care for you. When you're coming to church and you you don't sign up for a group or become a member, like you're not using your gifts. And so not only are you robbing God from using your gifts, not only are you robbing the church from using your gifts, but more than that, you're robbing yourself when you don't serve or bless or use your gifts? Well, because God gave you that gift and you're not playing with it or using it for his glory and for the good of others. It's an unhealthy way for you to grow. People want to grow. Like, I want to grow. I want to grow. Well, one of the best ways you can grow is to be healthy within the local church because we're a body. So what happens if you want to grow in a healthy way? Well, they tell you to eat well, move exercise, get some rest, and focus on your mental health. What happens when you do that? Oh, man, then you begin to grow, right? And that's exactly what it means for us as a church, that we want to begin growing in our gifts, and then we'll be growing as a church. We'll be healthy. We'll be thriving. We'll be vibrant. We'll be flourishing. We'll see the gifts in operation, and we'll see the church begin to grow, I enjoy working out. Like for those of you who are kind of close with me, I enjoy working out. I go work out six times a week. Like that's that's a routine that I have in my life, right? And recently I've started bringing my daughter Esther with me. And so after I get off of work, I go home, get ready to change. Esther meets me at the door. She says, daddy, daddy, daddy. She hugs my leg. She looks up at me. She says, it's time to go to the gym. And I say, that's right, baby. Let's go to the gym. And then she says this. She says, it's time to get big and strong. And I say, that's right, baby, that's right. And so then I, I take my daughter to the gym to get big and strong. Okay, that's a perfect illustration of what it means to be healthy, right? That we want to get healthy with our Heavenly Father. And when the church understands that God is a Father who wants us to be healthy, well, then the church is going to grow. And the spiritual gifts are God's way to grow the church. Listen to all of these things that that Paul tells us about what happens when we begin to use our gifts. He says that the church will grow in unity. He says a unity in the bond of the spirit. Do you think the church needs unity? Okay, then the church needs to use its gifts. He says peace. Do you think the church needs peace? Should the church be a safe place for people to experience life change through Jesus? Should the church be a place of peace? 
Okay, then we need to use our gifts. He says, the fullness of Christ. Do you want to be who God has created you to be and grow into the fullness of Christ? Then discover your gift. He says, maturity or Christian holiness. Do you think the church should grow in maturity? Then use the gifts. Diversity. Should the church be a place for every man, woman, and child, regardless of race or income or ethnicity or gender or background, whatever it is, should the church be a place of diversity? That comes from using the gifts. Doctrine. Right, the truth of God applied to your life, lived out. Doctrine comes from using the gifts. And then six times right here, he says the word love. Love, 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 love. Okay, should the church be a place of love? Okay, then that comes from us using our gifts. Guys, the gifts is God's way to grow the church. If you want to see the church grow, then we got to discover our gifts. God has given you a gift. He does not want you to waste it. He wants you to invest it. He doesn't want you to lose it or abuse it. He wants you to use it because when we use our gifts, guess what happens? The church begins to grow, which leads us to the second question. What are the spiritual gifts. In Ephesians chapter four, he mentions five spiritual gifts. Over the course of this series, we're gonna tackle 21 different spiritual gifts. Today, we're gonna do 12. Okay, do you know the song, 12 Days of Christmas? Okay, this is the 12 gifts of the Holy Spirit. So just think about it a little bit like that. Today, we're gonna tackle 12 spiritual gifts. And you say, Byron, that sounds like it's gonna take a long time. It probably is, so just bear with me. Okay, before we get started, here's a couple of things that I want to say. The first thing about spiritual gifts you need to know is that spiritual gifts are not a competition, right? Some people act like the gifts are a competition. Oh, you got this gift, and they got that gift, and I wanted that gift, and how come I don't have that gift, and that's the gift I want, and that's not the gift I want. Is there an exchange policy on my gift? Hey, there is no exchange policy. He gives sovereignly to those whom he chooses. And so thank God for your gift. Pray and eagerly desire the gift. Because God knows that when you use your gift and they use their gift and we come together, man, that's when the church begins to grow. The gifts are not a competition. The second thing is your gifts need to be cultivated. Right? You have to grow your gift. So let's say you think, oh, I have the gift of teaching. Hey, that doesn't mean that you get to get on stage and teach next week. Like, have you studied? Do you know how to read? Okay, if not, then you, then you have to grow in that gift. Like, just because you're like, I have the gift of teaching, right? Doesn't mean you're ready to teach. You still have to study. You still have to train. You still have to prepare, right? You need to be hooked on phonics so you can learn to read before you learn to teach, okay? Right? And so your gifts have to be cultivated. And the next thing is this. You need to learn how to serve outside of your gifting, Right, there's going to be some times and some seasons that you're just going to have to serve outside of your gifting so that way you can meet the need. Right? You need to be able to meet the need. That's what a lot of ministry is. You see a need, and then you meet the need. Right? So you're going to have to learn to serve outside of your gifting. So just for example, let's say you meet somebody and they don't know Jesus. And they're like, hey, I have a lot of questions about Jesus. I'm not really sure you know, if, if I want to become a Christian. Hey, could you share the gospel with me? You can't be like, oh, no, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You're going to hell. No, you can't do that, right? Don't pass the buck because of your gift. No, in that moment, you need to invite them to church, share the good news of Jesus with them. You be an evangelist because Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses and so that's the command. We're all called to go and make disciples. So just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you get out of evangelizing. Hear me? Or, or maybe it's the gift of mercy, right? When somebody comes to you and they're like, 
you know, life is so hard and it's so difficult and I just don't know what to do and I've made so many mistakes and I'm just in a really, really bad place. You can't look at them and say, tough titty, boo-boo kitty, I ain't got the gift of mercy. <laughs> you, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. Like, that's not, that's not good. Right, you need to be merciful to them. You're like, oh, sucks to be you. Put a Band-Aid on it and walk away. No, 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 no. You have to display mercy towards them. The number, one, the number one characteristic of Jesus in the Gospels is his compassion. So you want to be like Jesus, you got to be merciful. Right, but then there's some people who have the gift of mercy. Or this one, my personal favorite, the gift of giving. So when we take up tithes and offerings, you can't be like, not my gift, suckers, and pass the plate. No, 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 we practice the tithe here. 10% first and best to the Lord. It goes out, it goes up before it goes out. That belongs to God above and beyond. Sacrificial giving according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Cheerful, regular, sacrificial, all Christians commanded by God to receive the joyous blessing of generosity because that reflects the heart of God. But then some people, man, you're just gonna put two offering envelopes in there for heart for the house, pass the plate, praise the Lord for you. Sometimes you have to serve outside of your gifting. And then the last thing is this, is you can have multiple gifts, right? You don't just get one gift, but as you grow in faith, you discover you have multiple gifts. So maybe it starts with one gift, and then over time, you discover that there's different gifts for different seasons and for different reasons. And as you mature, you have a mix of gifts. So I was talking with one person outside, and they have, you know, they think they have the gift of, of, of teaching, but then there's also the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge and a gift of faith that all combines in there, and they actually host a community group. And each of those giftings, they all work together in a very beautiful gift mix, and that's oftentimes where a lot of ministry happens. Because you start with one gift, and then as you mature and grow, you discover you have multiple gifts, because why? Because spiritual growth leads to what? Spiritual gifts. So with that being said, we're going to tackle 12 spiritual gifts. You guys ready? Good Lord, guys. Come on. Well, if you're not ready, it's okay. But if you are and have the gift of administration, you can take notes. First one is this, hospitality. Romans 12, 13. Okay, this is my favorite gift. I'm going to start with this gift. And it's not because I have it, but it's because I love people who do have this gift. The gift of hospitality, or like I call it, I like to call it the gift of muffin making. Like, I love this gift, right? This is the gift that you're always, you know, opening your home to other people. You're encouraging them, hey, you want to be my friend? Hey, you want to come hang out? You want to come back over to my house? I can crock pot a full meal for all of us. I'm ready. Hey, I would love to have you. And then you have like, you have two different dishware, right? You have the normal everyday dishware, and then you have the special occasion plates. Do you have any special occasion plates? Okay, and they have special occasion placemats. Who's got placemats? Okay, if you have placemats at your house, then you have the, the gift of hospitality. Like, this gift comes with placemats and ornate napkins, all that stuff. Like, that's, that's how you know if you have this gift. Because you love baking and cooking and preparing and looking for ways that you can serve others by opening up your heart, opening up your home, and blessing people through normal, ordinary means. Just so you know, people don't normally like doing that. Right, people are like, hey, do you want to hang out? And they're like, yes, we can hang out. You hang out over there. I'll hang out over here. Don't, don't hang out with me. Don't come over to my house. People of hospitality are like, doors always open when you're here, your family. Okay, if, if that's you, if you have this gift, a great place for you to serve in our church is actually on our hospitality team. 
right? Friday night, we had a big Christmas party, and, and the whole place was just decked out. It was beautiful, incredible, amazing food and desserts. It was awesome. And it was all done by our hospitality team. There was like you know, eight different people who were working behind the scenes, throwing the big party, and it was amazing. That's because of our hospitality team. So if that's somewhere you would like to plug in, take your Connect card, fill it out, and say, hospitality team. There's a Connect card in your seat. Every single one of the spiritual gifts, I am going to tie into a place for you to serve in the church. Okay. The second way is the gift of serving, Romans 12. 1 Peter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, the person with the gift of serving, when they come into the church, they don't have this big need to have some grandiose vision and everybody do what they say. Right? They're not out to change the world. They just want to change light bulbs and serve in any way that they can. That's the gift of serving. And so when you meet somebody with this gift, you're like, hey, what has God called you to do? And they're like, I don't know. You're like, hey, what do you want to do? You're like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Hey, where do you want to be? They're like, I don't know. Where do you need me to be? Whatever you want, that's where I'll be. Whatever you need, that's what I'm going to do. That's somebody with the gift of serving. They don't have to be up front. They don't need to be on stage. They love to be behind the scenes because they love to serve. When I was thinking about somebody with the gift of serving, the person that came to my mind was Matt Stevenson. All right, Matt, Matt Stevenson, he, he has the gift of serving because at, at the beginning of the year, we went to this church multiplication network. It's this big conference for church planters, you know, 10,000 pastors from all across the world. And there's a big rallying call. You can plant churches. We're going to plant 10,000 churches in the next 10 years. Everybody's going to plant a church. Has God called you? And I'm pushing and challenging all of our team. Hey, you're going to plant a church, and we're going to have a redemption church over here, and then you're going to plant a church, and we're going to send you off as a missionary. What has God called you to do? And Matt's like, God hasn't called me to be a pastor at all. I was like, okay, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm not playing a church either. I, I prayed about it. I really did, but I don't feel like God has called me to do that. So what, what is God calling you to do? He said, I don't know. I think God just wants me to serve redemption. Whatever you do, I want to do that. Wherever you go, that's where I want to go. And I'm just called here to serve this church. And here he is still faithfully to this day, just serving here at redemption. That's a person who has the gift of serving. They don't have to be up front. They don't have to be on stage. And they don't care if you know their name. He's probably nervous that I said his name in the sermon. <laughs> but he does love to serve. So if you have this gift, I would suggest the best place for you to serve is sign up to be on Matt's team. Matt has an environmental maintenance team here. <laughs> And I don't know if you knew this or not, but his team shows up on Saturday mornings, bright and early, and they clean the church from top to bottom, do the floors, windows, seats, build out the baptismal, everything, top to bottom on Saturdays. They clean this entire church, and they have a great time while doing it. And if you want to learn to serve, okay, Matt, he's the one who's going to be able to teach you because he has the gift of serving. The next one is this, the gift of exhortation, Romans 12, 8. Right? A person with this gift, you are a breath of fresh air. Like When you walk into the room, everybody's like, OK, we can do this, because you are such an encourager. You have the gift of exhortation. Like You're always praying for people and like sending them texts with little heart emojis. Like If you use the heart emoji, you probably have the gift of exhortation. Right, that's probably you. Right? And so you're just like a breath of fresh air. You know, the number one prescription medication in America today is antidepressants. Everybody's blue, everybody's bummed out, everybody's depressed, and you are like, you are like just a 
life when people walk into the church because you're always like, hey, I believe in you. You can do this. You are more than a conqueror. You know, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. For God has a plan for you. I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans of good and not of evil, says the Lord. If God be for you, then who can be against you? All things are made new in Christ Jesus. You got this. Like, that's the gift of exhorter, right? Anybody ever meet somebody like that? Hey, most people, they walk around like, you know, Eeyore, puddle glum all the time, and they're like, life is horrible, life is terrible, I'm so sad, right? Those with the gift of exhortation, you're like, hey, it gets better, praise Jesus, right? He saved you, he could deliver you, he could heal you. Come on, guys, we can do this. Like, that's the gift of exhortation. So, so, so important for the church, for people to be exhorters. You know, like, going to church is weird, I don't know if you knew that or not, but going to church for the first time is weird. You don't know anybody. Like, you probably had a bad week, got in a fight with your wife on the way there. Your kids are kicking the back seat. They're freaking out. And then you walk in, and you don't know what to expect. And then they start singing some weird karaoke songs, and you're like, oh, people are really into this. And then that guy starts yelling about a guy being born of a virgin, dying on a cross, coming back one day. And then they start you know, breaking the bread and drinking the blood, and you're like, this is weird. Okay, just so you know, church is weird. And they're like, can we pray for you? You're like, oh, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to do. Like, church is weird. But a person with the gift of exhortation, when you serve on the welcome team, man, you know what? You begin to lower people's defenses. You begin to open the door so that way they can hear the good news of the gospel. I think one of the best places for somebody with the gift of exhortation is to be in the parking lot or to be at the front door welcoming others. You know, when you shake someone's hand, you could be the first touch of affection they've received all week. When you look someone in the eyes and say, hey, I'm glad you're here, that might be the one word that changes their life. Research shows that a person decides whether or not they're going to come to church in the first seven minutes of their visit. So before I preach the sermon, before Bo leads worship, before the announcements or communion, a person decides within the first seven minutes whether or not they're going to come back to church. Some of you guessed if this is your first time, you might have already made up your mind. A person with the gift of exhortation standing at their front door, they're the ones who gets to change that. Your gift is so important because you are breathing life in to other people because you have the gift of exhortation. The next gift is the gift of giving, right? If you hear that somebody has the gift of giving and you don't get upset, okay, then you probably have the gift of giving, <laughs> right? When people talk about giving in the church, you're like, oh, the pastor's talking about giving again. Like, but if you have this gift, you're like, that's right, let's give, because it's amazing to give. When you hear about heart for the house, you're like, $20,000 in year-end giving by the end of the year, December 22nd, sign me up, baby. I've been praying, God gave me a word, I got my number, I'm ready to give. If you're thinking like that, then you probably have the gift of giving, right? But if you're like, she's always asking for, okay, you probably don't have the gift of giving. You probably need to go to the Lord in prayer for repentance, so that way you can get the heart of God. Right, a person who has the gift of giving, they're always looking for needs and opportunities. And some people think giving's only for rich people. Actually, that's not true. Right, 80% of the giving in our church comes from 20% of the people in our congregation. And most of the time, it's people you would not even expect who are the top givers of our church because they have the gift of giving. And it's not just a high percentage number. I mean, people give generously. I mean, I know people in our church who, when they hear of a need, maybe in the lobby, 
They go up to that person and they say, hey, the Lord puts you on my heart. Here you go. And they got a little Pentecostal handshake, slip them a $100 bill. Okay? That's the gift of giving. If you're in line at Walmart or Kroger and the Lord lays it on your heart to buy the groceries for the person in front of you, then you probably have the gift of giving. When you're in line at Starbucks and you're getting your flat white and then you want to buy the coffee for the person in front of you, then you probably have the gift of giving. If you're always carrying books around in your car because you want to bless other people, then you probably have the gift of giving. Right, the gift of giving is a beautiful gift. It is an amazing gift. And there's something so broken in the American church whenever we think that giving is a problem. No, 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 it's a gift. Whenever you hear about giving, so many people are like, all they want is, no, 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 no. I just want you to use your gift. Giving is a great gift. So for those of you who have this gift, you don't get recognition, but I want you to know that I know who you are in our church, for those of you who do have the gift of giving, and I am so grateful for you. Okay, so here's what I want, I want to encourage you. Do right, you want to know what the needs for the church are? There's more needs than there is money. Right, just always going to be more needs than money. We have people who are impoverished. We have people who are hurting. Others who are on disability. You know, we have some who are, you know, have cancer or other diseases that they're unable to work. People who have lost their jobs. People who are going through divorces. Single moms. We have so many needs. And we do have benevolence as a church. And we pay people's rent. And we help pay people's, you know, uh, get cars fixed and electricity bills. And we do our best to do that. And you don't hear about it because we don't make a big deal about it as a church. But we do do this as a church. And when you give, you go to meet those needs. But some of you, you have the gift of giving, and you want to know, how can I give? What need can I meet? Just message me or my assistant, hello at redemptiontx.com. We would love to be able to show you some of the needs that we have as a church. There's always more needs than there is money. So those of you, the gift of giving, you really help that go forward. How about this one, the gift of leadership? Okay, a lot of people think, I have the gift of leadership. Okay. If no one's following you, you don't have the gift of leadership. Okay, people are like, I'm a leader. You're like, um, no, no, you're not. You are not a leader. If people don't follow you, you are not a leader. You're just a guy out for a walk. Like, that's not what leadership is. Okay, leadership is influence. Right, a lot of people, especially young guys, come into the church, they're like, God has called me to be a leader. And oftentimes, people want to be a leader because they really just want a position or some sort of authority. Okay, that's not leadership. That's, that's being a jerk, okay, just so you know. Like, the church doesn't need more jerks. The church needs more leaders. There's very few people who actually have the gift of leadership. Jesus says it like this, pray to the Lord of the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for the leaders. Okay, leadership is an important gift, and it means influence. A person who is a leader realizes that their success comes from other people, that they are as only gifted as the people who they serve. That's what leadership is. And so one person that I think has the gift of leadership in our church is Brandon Stacy. He's a deacon here. He's the leader of uh, a deacon of leadership development. And I asked him 16 months ago to come in and start serving our church because he has a master's in business. He's wicked Yoda smart. He has this gift. And so I asked him calling because I hit a lid. I was at the end of my rope. And it was like herding cats just trying to get y'all to show up. And so I was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And he came in. He totally restructured the entire church, built a 
um, pipeline to get us moving forward. And since Brandon has taken over that role, we went from 50 serve team members to 150 today. Okay, that's leadership. That's influence. That's Brandon's mark on our church. If you have the gift of leadership, can I just tell you, leadership starts with discipleship. Sign up, come to our team nights, let us train you, let us develop you, because we want for you to be a leader as well. Leadership should not happen by accident. Leadership is a gift. The next one, number six, is the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, you love hurting people. You, let me say that again. You don't love hurting people. You love it when people are hurt. When people are hurting, you love them. That's the gift of mercy, right? If you love hurting people, that's not mercy. Like, that's a felony, so don't do that. But when people are hurting, you run to them. You don't run from them, okay? Just so you know, most people, they, they get bummed out when they meet other people who are hurting. They're like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, this was a horrible week, and it was terrible, and it was a no good, terrible, bad day, and my dog died, and I have a rash. And everybody's like... Oh, wow, I'll pray for you over here, okay. No, no, they run from them, but you run to them because you have the gift of mercy. People with this gift are compassionate, they're empathetic, they're sympathetic, they hurt for those who are hurting. And what happens, because many of you don't know how to use this gift, you find yourself in a place to where you think misery loves company. But that's not true. Misery doesn't need company, misery needs mercy. See, those of you who have the mercy gift, you end up feeling everything they feel but then you take it from them and then you carry it for yourself. Okay, that's not what mercy does. Mercy brings healing. Mercy brings grace. Mercy brings forgiveness. Mercy takes the pain of others, brings it to the cross, lays it down so that they can go free and you can have joy. All right, so this gift is a beautiful, wonderful gift. Where would you be in our church with this gift? The best place for you is to sign up for our freedom ministry that you would start in January doing some training in the freedom ministry, and then after you go through freedom group, then you would become a freedom minister in our church. We have a group of women and men who use their gifting of mercy to meet the needs of others who are broken by providing them with inner healing and deliverance. Guys, our church is, is hurting. There's so many people in our church that are hurting. Every single week, I, I hear from stories of people who are raped or molested, have been abandoned by their parents, people who have bitterness and unforgiveness, deep wounds, self-mutilation, suicidal tendencies. So many people in our church who are hurting through divorce or through their spouse cheating on them, and they need mercy. And you have that gift. Our church needs you because you have that gift. And we want you to be able to discover and to use that gift. Freedom ministry is perfect for that. There's also the gift of apostleship. Are you guys still with me? Are you all still with me? OK. The gift of apostleship. This is a lowercase a, not a capital A. All right, capital A apostle means you saw the resurrection of Jesus and wrote a book of the Bible. How many of you, that's you? OK, there is no book of Karen. So capital A apostle is over. <laughs> But there is a lowercase a apostle, okay? And here's what it is. It's a church planter or a missionary, right? That you love starting new churches. You love going overseas, doing outreach. Like, that's the gift of apostleship. Starting new ministries. You want to pioneer something. You see what it could be. You go out, and then you do it. Like, that's the gift of, I actually have this gift. That over the last eight years, me and my wife, Ashley, have planted three churches. We planted one in Houston, New York, here in Beaumont, but I'm not going anywhere. My boots are on. My roots are planted. I'm here. But my dream is this, that Redemption would plant 10 churches. 
that we would have 10 redemption churches all across I-10 from West Texas to you know, East Louisiana. We were gonna plant 10 churches because inside of me, I am not satisfied. I wanna see a gospel-centered movement and that's what apostleship is. Some of you, you have this gift. If you have this gift, we wanna begin training you so we can raise you up as a leader, as a pastor, or a missionary. In 2020, we're gonna start a little small Bible school. It's nothing fancy to write home about, but we're gonna start training men to become elders, men and women to be missionaries, to be parachurch leaders, and we're gonna start doing a small little Bible school on Monday nights. If you're interested in that, then we'd love to test you and see maybe and then that's where God has for you to do. So fill out a connect card, let me know. The next one is the gift of evangelism, Ephesians 4.11, right? You're fired up about Jesus. Like when you meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus, like you're like, I know Jesus and I wanna introduce you to him, right? Because I've met him, he changed my life, he can change yours. Like you probably have the gift of evangelism. And so you're, you're always, you got one Bible, you got a Bible in one hand, and then you have a stack of invited cards, because you have to get to me, you're like, I'm going to invite you to church, 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 you, there you go, make it rain, invite cards. <laughs> you have the gift of evangelism, right? And just so you know, not everybody has this gift. Like, there are some Christians who are annoyed by non-Christians. Did you know that? Like, they're like, all oh, these non-Christians coming in here, sitting in my chair, ruining my church. What do you think you are coming here to get saved? <laughs> For you, you're probably annoyed by those Christians because you have the gift of evangelism. And so one of the best places for you to use this gift is actually outside of the church, right? And so you need to go, go to Starbucks, go to the gym, right? go to the same grocery store every single day, get a gym membership, invite people to church, use your gift. The number, the number nine is pastor and shepherd. What's interesting is out in the lobby, there's a whole wall of all the different gifts. And you know the one that nobody's taken yet? Gift of pastor or shepherd. <laughs> it's still full. And some of you, I'm about to blow your mind right now, I actually don't have the gift of pastor. You're like, what? How do you not have the gift of pastor? Right, because there's an office of pastor for those who meet the biblical qualifications according to 1 Timothy and the book of Titus. But then there's the gift of pastor which is a person who cares and provides counsel for others. See, I don't really have that, right? As the church grows, then I need to pull people around me with this gift. Because when the church is small, I could actually pastor 50 people. But now the church is 300 and then eventually 500, however much the Lord causes to grow, I cannot pastor 300 people. Like I only have so much time and so much emotional capacity, I just can't handle it all. For those of you who are with us when our church was 50, like was I a good pastor? Did I really care? Eh, probably not very much. Like my pastoral counseling was, you did what? Seriously? Don't do that again. Like that was my pastoral counseling, knock it off. Now go do what I told you. That was it. Okay, I didn't have a heart of a pastor. Okay, but God has brought people along who really have this heart to pastor others. And that's where a lot of our ministry takes place is in our community groups. Right? If you message me and you say, Pastor, I need to talk, most likely what I'll say is, have you talked to your community group leader? Because that's where a lot of it takes place. Have you talked to your serve team leader? Because that's where a lot of it takes place. Because it's hard for me to pastor this many people. 
So God brings other people with the gift of shepherding or the gift of pastoring, and we call those community group leaders. If you have this gift, sign up to lead a community group, please. Pretty please. Pretty, pretty please. Now, sign up to lead a community group. We have so many people and so few groups. I think we had 14 groups last semester. Okay, we want to try to have eight to 10 people per group, which means a church of our size. We need to have about 30 community group leaders. Right now, we only have about 11. So we're really behind. We really need you to use your gift. Please sign up if this is you. The next one we see is this, the gift of teaching. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and 28. The gift of teaching. Your sweet spot is when people get it. Where you're like, oh, yeah. like, yes, that's it. I'm in my happy place. People understand. Right, that, that's you. You can take complex things such as the word of God and you can break them down into nice little syllogisms so people can get it. You're like point A, point B, point C, 12 gifts just for you. Oh, wow, I get it. That's the gift of teaching. Right? And if that's you, it's not just information, right? but it's actually application. It's taking the word of God, applying it so that way people can go do it because we don't want to be hearers of the word. What do we want to be? We want to be doers of the word. That's the gift of teaching. If you have this gift, Thank you, please. Okay, I need your help. For those of you with this gift, I need your help personally because I design all of the sermon series. I do all of the exegetical studies. I build out the whole um, blogs and resources and rundown podcasts. I do all of the community group curriculums. I do all of the teaching primarily all by myself. And as we want to begin growing, it's really difficult for me to do everything on my own, so I need your help. If you love books and footnotes and you can nerd out, I would love for you to use your gift of teaching to be able to help do some research, blogs, and other writings for the church. I would love that. That's a great way for you to help. Which leads to point number 11, helps. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4. You would think the gift of helps and the gift of serving is exactly the same, it sounds the same, doesn't it? But it's not actually the same. Okay, serving focuses on projects. Clean the floor, stack the chairs, right? Open the door, help park the cars. That's the gift of serving. Beautiful gift, but it's not the same as the gift of helps. The gift of helps focuses on people. Serving focuses on projects. Helps focuses on people, that you're helping people develop their own gifts. You're almost like rocket fuel for another person. That when you come alongside of them, you're blessing them, you're serving them, you're helping them accomplish and be better at their gifts. All right, so one person in our church who has this is Trevor. Trevor Knox, he's my assistant, and he helps me through the week because he's always speaking life, encouraging me, helping me grow in my gifting of leadership and of teaching. Trevor actually has this gift. On Sundays, he serves, but through the week, he actually uses his gift to, to help. He has the gift of helps, and that's why I brought him onto our team because he, he helps, and I need as much help as I can get, Amen. Which leads to the last one, the gift of administration. This is what I think is the, I can't say it's the most important gift, but God, this gift is so crucial. Without this gift, we'd be doing ministry inside a prison. Like, that's how it works. Like, this is the gift that keeps us out of jail. Like, this is the gift that does all of the books, has an Excel spreadsheet, they got their shirt tucked in, they have a little notepad, they're taking all their notes. Like, this is the gift, they have an abacus 
right? And they're always just trying to figure out. They're counting one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, great, got it. Like, this is that gift. I like to call this the gift that gets stuff done. Like, that's this gift. In fact, the word administration means one who steers a ship. The person who administers, they don't need to be the leader, but they're typically second in charge. They're the right-hand man, making sure that everything is done. You have a place for everything, and everything has a place. Right? If you go into someone's house and their underwear is on the chandelier, right, they probably don't have the gift of administration. But if they have a label maker, and if they have Tupperware, and it's all totally organized, neat and tidy, everything's Febreze down, they probably have the gift of administration. Right? And I love this gift. And if you have this gift, guess what? The whole church is wide open to you because, welcome to redemption, we're not very organized. <laughs> have you noticed that? It's almost like Larry Curley and Mo work up here all week long. Like, we're not super organized. Okay, so what you could do is you can go to your serve team leader and say, hey, can I help organize and make a little flow charts? I would love to be able to get out my Excel spreadsheet and just make a list of things that we need as a church. Could we do that for you? You can do that in kids. You can do that in the worship team. You could do that in the lobby. You could do that with me. We all need the gift of administration, amen? Every single one of you has a gift. How does it feel to know that you're gifted? Hey, how does that feel? That God not only saves you, but he gifts you. There is a role for every single one of you to play, whether it's in the parking lot, whether it's in the kids' ministry, whether it is running slides on production in the worship team, maybe one day preaching, every single one of you has a gift, and God doesn't want you to waste your gift just sitting in a seat or sitting in a sideline. God wants you to get up and put your gift to use because he's made you for a purpose, and you've been gifted for a reason. So why does God give the spiritual gifts? Because when we use our gifts, that's when the church begins to grow. Here's what Paul says. He says this. He says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working together properly, makes the body grow so that it is built up in love. The spiritual gifts are God's way to grow the church. So the last question is, how do I grow in my gifts? I told you at the beginning that over the last 20 years, church attendance has decreased 20%, and the gifts has decreased 20%. But what would happen if we all discovered our gift? I want to show a picture up. If you guys could throw that up on the slide. This is a picture that was taken at the beginning of this year. Do you see that? That's, this is our church. You wouldn't see it because there's no walls, there's no ceiling. All there is is about 20 people gathered together in prayer. This is about 20% of our church serving, loving, using their gifts, praying for the church. This was our church a year ago. This was our church a month ago. Look what happens when you use your gift. Look what happens when you use your gift. 20% turns into 100%. But what would happen if 100% of you learned to use your gift? If God can do this with this group, what could God do with us all working together and using our gifts? Just think about, dream about where Redemption Church would be because spiritual growth leads to spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, praise the Lord 
it leads to spiritual growth. I want for you to discover your gifts. I want you to grow in your gifts. How do you grow in your gifts? I'll give you three quick ways as we close. The first way is this, become a member. Membership opens up in January. If you want to use your gift, grow in your gift. If you want to discover your gift, you need to be a part of the body. You can't use your gift apart from the body of Christ. The whole goal and purpose of the gifts is to build up the what? The body. How are you going to use your gifts if you're not a part of the body? What are you going to do, encourage yourself? I mean, that's not, that's not how the gift works. You're going to give to yourself? Like, that's not how the gift works. Like, the gifts are designed to build up the body, and if you're not part of the body, then you're not going to be able to grow in your gifts. First thing is just become a member. Membership opens in January. Take the word. Do the word. Next one is sign up to serve. There's a place for you in our church. The best place for you to start by serving is just to join the welcome team. After you join the welcome team, everything else is going to be opened up to you. But maybe there's a different area. Whatever your gifting is, don't wait until you find your gift to find a place to serve. Find a place to serve, and then you'll find your gift. Oftentimes, you find your gift through trial and error. Sign up and serve somewhere, somehow. Get involved. And then the last thing is for you to join a community group. Oftentimes, in our community groups, that's where we discover our gifts because somebody else calls it out in you. The other day, we were in our community group, and someone's like, I don't know what my gift is. It's like, I know what your gift is. And then we just begin to speak life into other people because sometimes other people see it in you before you see it in yourself. If you want to grow in your gifts, become a member, join a team, get in a group, because the purpose of the gifts is what? To build up the body. And when each part is working together properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The best way to experience spiritual growth is through the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts lead to spiritual growth. And the exact opposite is true. If you want to grow spiritually, then you have to discover your gifts. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.